in three, two, one, roll it for it. Welcome back everybody, I'm Simon Severino, your host, and today we explore with the founder and CEO of Thought Leadership Leverage, how you can use Thought Leadership to grow your business. Welcome everybody, Pita Winnick. What are you currently creating, Peter? Yeah, that's a, a good question. So currently working on a couple things. Number one, as is always strategy, right? So we are constantly creating strategy on behalf of our clients for their thought leadership uh, based businesses and uh, also spending a lot of time creating podcasts, right? So we've got our own podcast as well. And we put out uh, about six episodes a month and constantly creating new new uh, podcast as well, Simon. Super cool. Tell us about your clients and then we go to your podcast. Who do you work with? Who do you not work with? Yeah, well, the who do we work with is a smaller answer than who do we not work with. So we work with the high level. There's two types of folks that we help. Number one uh, would be individuals or small entities that uh, develop thought leadership that is of interest to the business community. So authors, speakers, thought leaders, consultants, CEOs, handful of academics, etc. That's our primary bucket. And then uh, fairly recently, right before COVID, we launched a new practice area that we call the organizational thought leader. And that's where we're working with pretty large entities. So global ent organizations, um, high tech, uh, financial services, professional services, etc., where they are developing and deploying thought leadership for more strategic reasons. They're not looking to monetize the thought leadership uh, directly, but they put thought leadership out in the world to show the world who they are, what they stand for, what they're about, how they have a perspective that's particularly unique. And uh, what it does is it, it enables them to stand out from a brand standpoint and ultimately attract net new clients uh, in, into the firm. Powerful. And your podcast, when did you start? Why did you start? Yeah. So we started the podcast, which is leveraging thought leadership, uh, three and a half years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. We've done in excess of 350 episodes. And, uh, I started it actually because I'm lazy. <laughs> and, uh, what I mean by that is we've constantly put out over the, you know, 13 plus years that we've been around, lots of different thought leadership and lots of different formats. And I never considered myself a good writer. Uh, on my best days, I'm the lower end of a mediocre writer. So blogging was always a something I didn't particularly enjoy and something I, I don't think I did particularly well. Um, short form video I liked. And then podcasting, I came to realize is really is really just having fun conversations with people. And ultimately, I spend a good portion of my day almost every day doing that. So that, I, you know, I thought that was fairly, it would be fairly easy just sharing some of the conversations that I'm having in my normal travels with folks and calling it a podcast. So uh, here we are, three and a half years later, 350 episodes later, we've had Dan Pink, Tom Peters, Marshall Goldsmith, Stephen M. R. Covey. I mean, we've had some amazing, amazing folks over the years sharing their journey and then sharing with us their business models that are underlying their thought leadership based businesses. 
did the concept change over the 350 episode or your questions? How did it shape itself? How did it evolve? Um, that's a great question. So there's a couple of themes that we tend to play around with on a fairly consistent basis, like the journey. I'm always fascinated with how did you get here? Because in most professions, it would be a stupid question, right? If you ask an accountant how they became an accountant, typically they go to school, they study accounting, they get a CPA, voila, they're an accountant, right? Like not a particularly interesting story, not a lot of variations on the theme. Ask a thought leader how they got where they are today. And the stories are amazing. They're some of my favorite stories of, you know, I was a homeless juggler. I used to be a fighter pilot. I, you know, uh, uh, I was backstage at a conference. I was 28 years old and my boss started looking a little green, leaned over, got sick in a wastebasket, handed me a microphone and said, there's a thousand people out there. Can you help me figure this out? And realized I love speaking. Like these things don't happen in other professions. So I love those stories, but um, the questions have evolved over time, depending on what people are working on. Sometimes we focus on publishing or obviously in a post-COVID world or almost post-COVID world, you know, what has been the impact and the changes on COVID on the business side of the house. Um, I never send out questions in such an advance because uh, A, it's boring to me. And I, I don't know where the question's gonna go depending on who we have. Beautiful. And uh, I am so curious who you nominate for the strategy award after one word from our sponsor. Hey, if you like the tools, go grab them for free at strategysprint.com slash tools. When everybody's zigging, this person is zagging. But from your perspective, they are doing the right thing and you can nominate only one. Who do you pick? Yeah, I would pick Bill Sherman, who's my right hand and our chief operating officer in that he leads our organizational thought leadership practice and has been doing some really amazing stuff with the use of thought leadership to develop uh, uh, our business area there, develop relationships there, put out high quality content that's uh, engaging and informative and, and, and such. Um, so that would be my nomination. And so if somebody right now listening goes, oh, I want to be a thought leader and maybe I am even a little bit a thought leader. So what's, what's the process for them? How do they, how do they become a thought leader? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really good question. And there are more and more people asking that question every day. So the first thing I would I would do is is make sure that we have a common understanding about what that means. Because if you and I, Simon, were to say, hey, let, let's share lunch together. We, and we were in the same city. We would both automatically know, OK, that's the meal in the middle of the day between 1130 and 1.30. Typically, people don't drink a ton of alcohol there. Uh, I'm not going to show up in my pajamas. Like, there's going to be some standards. And then we would get down to, well, what would you like? Would you like Italian food or sushi or whatever? Oh, what location? So some common questions. So I think when we start having conversations around thought leadership, it's a word that gets thrown around all over the place, which I think is a, a blessing and a curse. So if someone came to me and said, I want to start being a thought leader, I'd say, well, what does that mean to you? Who's out there as a thought leader that you admire? Um, why do you think you might want to be a thought leader, et cetera? So first we would calibrate there. Then we would think about what is it that they've got based on their perspective, their experience, their research, whatever, that would be of interest and most importantly, of value to others. And who are those others? So lots of people think they might want to be something, but they're not really sure what, what it would take to get there. 
Um, so we need to sort of define their thought leadership platform, figure out the markets they should serve, figure out how those markets consume thought leadership. And when we talk about consumption, we don't really care so much about clicks or likes or relikes. What are they willing to pay for and why? So that would be sort of the beginning of the conversation, Simon. What's the opposite of a thought leader? <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's a lot of the crap that we see on social media, quite frankly. So I think, you know, to me, uh, you know, uh, I, I'll give you the opposite by starting with what it is. So, you know, there's two elements to thought leadership. There's the thoughtful piece which means something that you're putting out into the universe that you've applied some critical thinking skills that could be based on research that could be based on your experience that could be based on putting together um, things that you've observed in two different domains that when you put them together and sort of look at them a little bit differently, it's thoughtful. And then the leadership piece is really around the courage to take that conversation to a different place, to a new place, to a place where maybe not everybody's looking. So, so to answer your question, you know, what is not thought leadership? you know, putting out a pithy quote every day, sort of regurgitating things that are believed to be, you know, common knowledge, um, just adding to the noise. I mean, I think we're living in a, in, a, in a period today, which is really unique in that information is no longer scarce. In fact, it's so abundant that we're drowning in information. And what we're looking for is those glimmers of insight that can actually connect to me as a, as a human, as a person, as well as I can see an application to my profession, to my business, to, to my organization, to my team. Who are thought leaders that you find they are doing it well and they inspire you or, or can inspire others? Well, there's so many in so many different domains in that it, it really depends on what they're trying to achieve. So there are thought leaders that are commercially successful, which is one um, way that we might measure them, such as a Stephen M. R. Covey, Speed of Trust, and the whole Covey organization is phenomenal. There are others that are really at it, not from a commercial perspective, but they're trying to change the world in some way. And by change the world, it doesn't mean the entire way that the entire world does things, but change the world through the lens of their domain expertise. So there is a group um, at Rice University called the Door Institute, which is really trying to change the way that we train leaders at an undergrad level. And it's a global movement. They've got a book out, they're doing some great stuff. So I, I think it's around what's the reach, what's the impact, what does success look like? For some folks, it's just sharing the ideas and offering them up to someone else and say, hey, please take a look at this. And I hope you enjoy. Some of them have aspirations that are, that are pretty lofty. Three books or podcasts that touched you recently. Um, well, I don't know about recently, but, I, but I'll give you some that have touched me. Um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari has been a great book. That's been a few years ago. Um, really, really interesting in that it speaks to just the way through his perspective and research, you know, humans have evolved over the many, many, many years that we've been around, which explains why we do some of the things that we do that are both logical and quirky, if you would. Um, one of my all-time favorites is probably, uh, you know, um, um, uh, Frankel's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. That's just an incredible book. Um, you know, in terms of podcasts, there's so many out there that are really interesting. I tend to like things like um, Freakonomics and, um, and anything that speaks to how people make decisions, why they don't make, make decisions well, why, why you need to rethink the things that you think, etc. Thank you. And what 
have you recently changed your mind about? <laughs> yeah, I changed my mind a lot, which I think is a good thing because I think a lot of folks find, you know, I guess unless you're running for office or something like that, it's a bad thing to change your mind. So to me, first, it's the process. When do you agree to change your mind based on what, right? Because at some point you had an opinion about something based on a set of criteria or experiences or whatever. So, you know, for me, you know, one of the things that I've changed my mind about is we have been a remote, remote and virtual organization since our inception. You know, in a previous career, I had multiple offices and hundreds of people working for me. And by design, I never wanted to do that again. Just I didn't I don't want the limitation of, of physical space. I wanted to be able to find talent from all over the world, et cetera. And I never thought it would be adopted at the scale that it has been. Now, the reason for that is COVID. It wasn't like all these big companies, et cetera, woke up one day and said, wow, this would be better to give people more freedom and, and, and trust them more and et cetera. But it's really kind of kind of cool to watch people redefining what is work, where does work happen? What does it look like? Do I have to get on this train every day at 7.13 a.m. and you know whatever? So I think we're, we're living in this time where um, the truth that most people going to an office for eight or 10 hours a day, I think they would now admit that that does not mean that eight or 10 hours of work got done, right? It was always, you know, Sally in accounting's birthday. And every time you go to the restroom, you get interrupted. And, you know, as soon as you get in, the big discussion is what's for lunch. Like now, I think many of us are more focused on what needs to be done. How am I going to get that done? If I want to go, go to the gym at two in the afternoon, I shouldn't feel guilty. I can just work earlier in the day or after dinner or whatever works for me. And I think the world's sort of coming to terms with that for many. I love it how you frame it, the limit of space. And yeah, the limit of space and the limit of time have disappeared because we can have people working in Asia and in Europe and in the US on our team. So basically 24-7, somebody is handing over work. And so somebody is always reachable, uh, which is amazing, actually. And um, also- But I think it's that, Simon. And I also think that, you know, traditionally... I'm in New York, right? New York's a very expensive place to be. It's known for having top talent and educated folks and you know all these other things. There's a reason that the energy brings people here. But that does that mean that the only people that could possibly work for me have to live within 30 mile radius of, of, of Manhattan? That's in, that's stupid. Like it's just there's no smart people anywhere else. Like that doesn't make any sense. And and why they choose to live where they will live and have the lifestyle they do, be it for you know people that want to live in Boulder because they're more outdoorsy or live off the grid upstate somewhere. So I think it's opened up the talent pool in, in a much more egalitarian way. Absolutely. And also in terms of accessibility uh, of mobility of talent that so much more people can have access to a team like yours than they would have one year ago. Yeah. And also um, in terms of times where, where a customer can, can, can reach people from our team, our team was wasn't reachable 24 7 now everybody can come and s- some of us are always on because their time zone is active at some point and uh, and there are so many limitations that are that are disappearing like today when the market crashed i woke up and i was bullish to buy the dip so i went and bought some bitcoin of course and some solana and then i wanted to buy stocks micro strategy and i had to wait until the opening hours of of the world you know because yeah but it's not a working hour and i was like what's a working hour come on what is this thing 
So we right. still have the old world around, which is working hours and all these. Things. But think where that comes from, though. So it's interesting because you could wake up at four in the four in the morning and have an urge to buy a dining room set on Amazon or or uh, a headset, right? Click, boom, go, done, right? But the reason that you know stock markets opened at a certain place in time is, you know, for example, take the New York Stock Exchange. The history says they all used to meet under a tree, you know, in the 1800s, and you couldn't open the market. Literally, a tree, you know, on Wall and Broad is is the the, the myth. I think it, there's truth to it. But we needed the buyers and the sellers to be in the same place to say, I want to buy this, you want to sell that, right? Pre technology, so that that antiquated. Wait, it has to be 9.30 Eastern time for it opens. You look at that and go, well, that's silly. I'm in another part of the world and I got to wait till the you know late afternoon and da-da-da-da-da. And I think things are changing. There's aftermarket hours, there's pre-hours, the technology is coming into being. You don't need to be in this one physical place off of Wall Street <laughs> to make uh, uh, to transact in the marketplace. What's your perspective on all these technological shifts happening right now, like the blockchain, like technologies disrupting the current does it does it have an impact on your space on the thought leaders you work with yeah so i i will i'll break that question into two there's sort of blockchain stuff and technology stuff separately so under the technology bucket stuff um during my career uh i have seen so many different technologies totally change the way we do business so i'm old enough and i'm not well, it's a matter of opinion, that that old to remember when the fax machine came along, we were like, holy cow, I can sign a piece of paper, or do, you know, do something with a piece of paper, hit a button and halfway around the world within moments, it, usually you had to refax it three times, whatever, someone on the other side of the world could get the document. I don't need to wait until tomorrow until FedEx comes like that was a game changer, right? The cell phone was a game changer. Normally to make a phone call, I had to have the right change in my pocket and find a pay phone and then all this other stuff, the mobility of the cell phone and then the cell phone becoming the smartphone, game changer. Um, Zoom, game changer. I think, you know, Dropbox, game changer. All of the tools that we have now, even if the pandemic, in my opinion, didn't only happen five years ago, we would not have had the productivity and the efficiency and the ease by which we do today. I mean, e even something as trivial and annoying as um, file integrity, it was a big deal seven, eight, nine years ago to say, all right, you're going to send me a document because we're on the same team side and I'm going to work on it, give you my comments and send it back. And if I didn't put that file in the right place electronically or name it properly, you might pick up the wrong file the next time and say, oh, shoot, I, you know, that wasn't the, you know, whatever. Now with Dropbox and Google Drive and all the other tools, it's like, that's a problem that doesn't exist anymore. That was a big, big problem before, particularly in the legal world or professional services or whatever the case may be. So that's that's my thought in general. I'm always excited about what's next around the corner for technology. You know, blockchain, I think um, one is I think I don't know enough to know well. So I have studied it. I've researched it. Um, I have not invested in it as of yet because I don't understand it enough to know when to invest. I'm not sure if Bitcoin is a place to store value or a currency. And I don't really understand it as a currency because if I were to you know, take out my phone now and commit to buy a Tesla electronically, which is easy to do, hey, it's a hundred thousand bucks, whatever it's gonna be, right? By the time I pick it up for delivery in six weeks, did I make a commitment for $130,000 or $78,000? I don't like that. Like that, that scares me. I wanna know if I'm buying or leasing, particularly something high price, like it is what it is. If it was something 
you know, my dinner or something and it's 100, 200 bucks and it was off by 10 or 15%. So I, I don't really understand it. And I think there's a lot of um, ways that you can get taken advantage of when you don't understand anything, whatever that is. So uh, I think it's here to stay. I, I probably need to get more up to speed on it. Learning from the thought leaders that you have mentioned, for example, speed of trust in the Covey organization or the door organization, what is it that they are doing right and that most of us maybe should consider doing? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I think that from my experience in the work that I do, where thought leaders fall, fail or are lacking or could use some more help, if you will, is typically not in the development of the thought leadership, right? Because if you don't have something to say and you're not smart enough to put it together in a way that's concise and get your ideas together, you might need a little bit of help there um, over a period of time to tighten it up and you might need a, a, a sparring partner, et cetera. And that's fairly straightforward to do, you know, but, but you, you t tend to know what you'd like to say, what's interesting to you, what's fascinating to you, where you have a perspective. Where most folks uh, fail is on the sales, marketing, distribution, business development side, product development side, what I would call the business monkey side. Most people don't become thought leaders because they love figuring out social media, sales, marketing, distribution channels, negotiations, pricing, and all that, and they neglect it. And in most other businesses that require a lot more capital, you would be bankrupt quickly. So if you and I decided, uh, Simon, let's get into the um, commercial whatever, commercial property business. Let's go build a bunch of shopping malls in Europe because, you know, whatever, Budapest is growing and we'll go raise $100 million and do it. We better have our numbers down tight and we better not get so focused on, ooh, the mall's going to have a beautiful fountain and it's going to look like this and the sun's going to come through these windows. And if somebody on the team isn't thinking about who are we building this for, who are the tenants going to be, where is business going to transact, we'd go bankrupt and no one would ever invest in us again. Right. But because the investments that are typically needed to launch a thought leadership business are not all that much more than the thought leaders time. I mean, there's money, there's opportunity cost, et cetera. They can get away with being subpar on the sales, marketing, product development, sort of the, the business side of the house, as I mentioned. Beautiful. And uh, I just forgot my question. I think my question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious how long it takes to come back. I was thinking uh, along the lines that you said somebody has something to say. And I was reminding myself of my first boss and people in school who, who found that spark and gave me the feedback, you have something to say. And I wouldn't have known it without somebody else being the mirror for that at a specific critical turning point in my life. So I'm now thinking, if we see people that have something to say, how do we spot that? How, how do you see that somebody uh, has something to say? Yeah, so I think there's a couple ways. So it could be in a narrow way, hey, so-and-so works for me. And they're pretty insightful. Like, I like having conversations with them. I like having a cup of coffee with them. They're always presenting ideas to me in a way that are interesting, right? But that is limited to how many people do I see in a day or touch in a day or, or whatever. Um, but that's one way to do it. Others might be, as you're observing folks that are out there, maybe, you know, um, on social or on LinkedIn or whatever, 
um, it's a great way to find someone and go, wow, the way that person writes about that thing in that way with those examples is really, really interesting. I'm going to send them a, one is you can engage with the content, right? And, and engaging doesn't mean, uh, uh, you know, hollow platitudes. You can en heavily engage with someone uh, as long as it's done with respect by disagreeing with what they say. Hey, it appears that you've mapped out your logic and data, but have you thought about it this way? And I agree with some of what you say, we disagree with it here, but I think it's starting a dialogue with those folks and letting them know you got me to think, I think the highest compliment one could pay a thought leader or potential, potential thought leader is, wow, you got me thinking about that a little bit differently, or, you know, you, you got me to see it from your perspective, whether I agree with it or not, but to get me to think differently, to believe differently, to behave differently, to act differently, that's a pretty high bar today. And when you see people who have something to say and they maybe don't know it or they don't have the courage yet, what is it that, that you do that we can do to help them uh, lean more into it? I think letting them know. I, I mean, I think the encouragement could be, wow, you know, that piece that you wrote on LinkedIn really got me thinking for a couple of days. And, the, you know, and I brought it up with my team and, you know, and here's what I did. Have you thought of dot, 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 doing some more pieces on that? Have you thought of getting a group together of these type of people that find it most interesting and just having uh, a conversation? Have you thought about the potential ways to commercialize what looks like a seed of an idea? Or maybe it needs more work. You might say, there's something there, but like it would be, I think it might be interesting if you looked at it through this lens or if you did a little bit of research on what people actually think about it. So I, I think... If you could feed them concise and logical and discreet recommendations, and they always have the choice to say, thank you for the feedback, you know, <laughs> and to ignore it or to pursue it. You know, and I, I, the other thing I would say is I would encourage folks that are aspirational relative to thought leadership to connect with and have conversation dialogues with other thought leaders. It is remarkable to me how open and generous most thought leaders are to others that are coming in because most folks don't look at it as a, you know, Coke versus Pepsi competition. I don't want Simon to be successful as a podcaster because I'm a podcaster and he's going to steal my audience. That's stupid thinking. That's scarcity thinking. So if I dig your work, I'm going to tell people that I like to check you out and I might give you some suggestions or advice or something like that. But um, uh, I think collaborating with like-minded and smart folks that you admire is a, is a good uh, Good thing to think about. Yes. And good point to tell about your podcast. Where can people find your podcast? Yeah, I mean, the usual podcast places, right? You know, iTunes, Spotify, uh, you know, all that. It is leveraging thought leadership. And I, I think I mentioned earlier, we put out uh, typically about six episodes a month. And if people say, oh, I want Peter as a sparring partner for my journey of being a thought leader where do you hang out where do, can they contact you best yeah well you could you can email me directly which seems very quaint right it's peter at thoughtleadershipleverage.com and then you can find me most of where we're focusing our energy from a social media perspective these days is on linkedin so i put out a lot of um, a lot of things on linkedin video and articles and, and that sort of thing Thank you so much, Peter, for sharing your journey, your wisdom with us. And please, well, my come pleasure. back soon. I will. Thank you. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. 
we have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.